Welcome to Talk World Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk World Radio, it's time to end the terrorism-generating war on terrorism. Our guest is Scott Horton. Scott Horton is the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, terrific website, host of Antiwar Radio on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, and author of Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and of the new book we'll be mostly discussing, Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. Scott Horton, welcome to Talk World Radio. Thank you so much for having me here, David. As you know, I've long considered you to be one of the most important anti-war activists in the country, the very, very top tier, and I'm honored to be here with you, sir. Thank you very, very much. Same back to you, and thanks for having had me on your show and for everything you're doing and for writing this book, Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. I highly recommend it. I was quite struck by the beginning of your book, which I wonder if you could talk about a little, which makes a case that the U.S. government has really been following a script for about 20 years drafted by Al-Qaeda. Couldn't have done much better if Al-Qaeda had been directing the White House. Can you explain? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, just a few weeks ago, Brett Stevens in the New York Times wrote that, see, bin Laden said, America's weak. America's a paper tiger. America will run away if we just set off a couple of truck bombs. And so we knew that we had to go big and double down and triple down and stay forever. And leaving Afghanistan now is a huge mistake. Because even 20 years later, it's proving bin Laden right that we're a weak paper tiger and he can scare us away, right? But the point is, to be literal about it, not just uh, my opinion, Brett Stevens is a jerk, right? He's being used by Osama bin Laden. He's falling for the script. These are simple taunts by Osama bin Laden. I bet if I slap you, you won't even slap me back. You're so weak, says bin Laden. And then so what does Brett Stevens do? He runs right into the trap. And of course, he's symbolic of the entire war party who still believe this after 20 years. And yet, David, as you and I know, and as anybody who's thought critically about this, even back then knows, this terrorist group, Al-Qaeda, that was attacking us all through the 90s and culminating in the September 11th attack, they were the leftover Arab-Afghan Mujahideen from the war that Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan had helped wage in Afghanistan against the Soviet Union all through the 1980s. And they had turned against us for various policies in the region, especially bombing Iraq from permanent bases in Saudi Arabia through the 90s and supporting Israel and the local tin pot dictators and kings and El Presidentes. And what they wanted to do and said over and over through the 1990s and ever since after September 11th as well, as blatant as could be, the plan was to replicate the exact mission that we had helped them wage against the Soviet Union in Afghanistan in the 1980s against ourselves. And that they would bog us down, bleed us to bankruptcy, and if all things went according to plan with their AK-47s and faith in God, they would bring down another evil empire attempting to occupy uh, you know, Muslim nations and rule over Muslim people. And so then that was exactly what they did. And you might have thought you might would have thought that the Americans would know better than this because in fact, 
when they helped back the Mujahideen against the Soviet Union in Afghanistan, this was the entire point of that. They never thought, as Zalmay Khalilzad said in the Washington Post, they never thought that they would, that the Soviets would actually lose the war. They just wanted to make it really costly for them. Then not only did they lose the war, they lost their whole empire. And that was one of the straws that broke the camel's back at the end of the 1980s. And then the oil price crash finally finished them off. But so the Americans should have known when they did this to the Soviet Union in the 80s, they called it their slogan was. And this is even part of the dialogue in the movie Rambo three is that we're giving them their own Vietnam War, which was our giant catastrophe inflicted on the Vietnamese and, and uh, Cambodians and Laotians, but also a massive self-inflicted wound by the U.S. government on itself and the American society as well. Broke the bank, divided the society back home, and discredited what they were worried about most of all, discredited foreign interventionism, gave the American people the Vietnam syndrome and their reluctance, uh, you know, which our government considered a mental illness, the American people's reluctance to go back to war in another Vietnam type war. So they said, well, if what we did to ourselves in Vietnam was so bad, let's trick the Soviets into doing that to themselves. So instead of containing communism, we'll bait them into overexpansion that they cannot afford. And so that was the whole plan from the beginning. Walter Slocum and Robert Gates and Zbigniew Brzezinski, they all spoke in 1979, in the Jimmy Carter years still, of let's give them their own Vietnam. That was the terminology they used in the first place. And so yeah. then bin Laden was helped with that. He was part of the Arab-Afghan army. And Al-Qaeda's doctrine became based on the idea that they could not wage their local revolutions until they got rid of the American empire, which backed all their local dictators, that they would have to play a long game, attack the United States, trick Brett Stevens and the war party into doubling, tripling, quadrupling down our forces in the region, expanding the American footprint and essentially taking out all of Al-Qaeda's enemies for them, destabilizing the whole region, discrediting all of our sock puppet dictators, radicalizing the populations in terms of politics and religious fundamentalism, and essentially has done everything that they wanted. Because think about this, David. If all they were really going for was the American invasion and occupation of Afghanistan and a giant long-term no-win quagmire, which we sure have given them over the last 20 years there, then what do you call Iraq? where we got rid of the so-called socialist infidel, Saddam Hussein, as Osama bin Laden called him, and created a massive sectarian war there and a whole new generation of bin Ladenite jihadists that grew up in reaction to America's war for Shiite forces there. And then what do you make on top of that of Obama's wars in Libya for the Libyan Islamic Fighting Group and Ansar al-Sharia and essentially the Libyan veterans of Iraq War II? And then they did the same thing again in Syria and supported the Syrian veterans of Al-Qaeda in Iraq from Iraq War II for so many years that it blew up into the caliphate, which was such an embarrassment that they had, which took over all of Western Iraq in 2014, that they then had to launch Iraq War III in order to destroy the caliphate that they had built. With this guy, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, might as well have been bin Laden himself. This was bin Laden's wildest dream come true. It was Glenn Beck and George W. Bush's most ridiculous propaganda from the 2000s era, that there's this Islamo-fascist caliphate out there that we have to fight. Well, where is it? Well, 
Bush gave them Western Iraq and Obama gave them Eastern Syria. And so they actually got their caliphate, but only because of America's actions. And even to this day, David, as I know you know, we're fighting on Al-Qaeda's side in support of Saudi, Qatar, and Al-Qaeda against their enemies, the Houthis, who took over the government of Yemen in the capital city of Sana'a back in 2015. And so if Afghanistan has all been Laden wanted for America to commit Soviet-style imperial suicide on, in those mountains and in, on those rocks, then what does it mean that we have done all of this against Hussein's regime, Gaddafi's regime, Assad's regime, and the Houthis as well, most of it directly in favor of these same bin Ladenite forces. I guess that makes me a reverse 9-11 truther. I think that the CIA and George Bush and Obama and Trump, for that matter, have all been working for, Ob for Osama bin Laden and Ayman al-Zawahiri all along. They've accomplished all of their goals. Well, they, they didn't put bin Laden on the throne in Saudi, and they haven't put Zawahiri on the throne in Egypt, okay? So those are two big ones that they haven't achieved. But just about everything else, in fact, more than they could have ever dreamed. When you think about, you know, I just saw the headline today. I don't know if you saw, uh, we were retweeting each other this morning, that um, there's a new study out about ISIS-type forces, bin Ladenite-type forces ruling northern Mali now which is, of course, a direct consequence of Obama's war in Libya in 2011 and having spread bin Ladenite influence all the way down into Nigeria and throughout Africa. And it absolutely is like this is their movie. They wrote the script and the U.S. government can't help but fall for it. And in fact, one more thing, bin Laden's son told Rolling Stone magazine in 2010, I quote it in both books, that in Clinton's time, when he sent cruise missiles after bin Laden, after my father, he says, he missed and he got away. But you guys have been in Afghanistan. He said this in 2010, sorry. He says, you guys have been in Afghanistan all this time and you still don't have him. It, was be it would have been better for you to keep that money for your economy. Clinton was smart, not like Bush, who acts like a bull running after the red scarf. And uh, then he says, when uh, in the year 2000, when Bush won the election of 2000, he said, my father was so happy. This is the kind of president he needs, one who will take advantage of a crisis and will invade and bog down and break the country. Now, those are the words of Omar bin Laden straight out of the horse's mouth. This, he did not learn this from any other person than his own father's teaching him about what is our strategy against the United States. And it just couldn't be more clear. Our guest is Scott Horton, who is host of Anti-War Radio on KPFK and director of the Libertarian Institute, among other things. His terrific new book is called Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. Scott, what do you think uh, is the likelihood that the uh, incredibly bumbling, incompetent failure to capture bin Laden at the start of these particular wars uh, 20 years ago in Afghanistan was a deliberate choice in order to have bin Laden out there uncaptured uh, as a justification for additional ongoing wars. Uh, and by the same token or more generalized 
question. You've got a war on terrorism that's taking a couple hundred people in caves and turning them into a network of tens of thousands of people across continents. Uh, how much of that do you think is simply irrelevant to the interests of the war makers? And how much do you think it's, it's intentional because you can't have the wars without the enemies? Yeah. Well, a very good couple of questions there. So first of all, on Tora Bora, I make the case in both books, but especially in the first book on Afghanistan, that in December of 2001, Bush and Cheney and Rumsfeld, uh, that is uh, the president, vice president, and secretary of defense, absolutely refused to provide the ground forces required to get bin Laden. And you had top-tier special operations forces on the ground, the D Army Delta Force, uh, combined with the CIA special activity special activities division paramilitaries and there are books by the leaders of both thomas greer aka dalton fury wrote a book called kill bin laden and the second head of the cia mission there gary bernson wrote a book called jawbreaker and in both of these they don't make the accusation uh directly by the way but they both use phrases like we just couldn't understand it and we begged and begged for weeks, and then they just wouldn't answer. And in fact, in Bernson's book, Jawbreaker, there are some significant paragraphs right in the middle of this discussion that are blacked out. Um, but they, you know, the publisher left the redactions in to show you what they weren't allowed to show you that he had written there. Um, but, you know, Fury talks about, um, uh, that is Greer, uh, the Delta Force commander talks about how when they came in, Delta Force Team B, they pulled Team A out. And they go, what are you doing? We're, we're here to support them, or we could use them to support us, or whatever's going on. They go, nah, see, it's a PSYOP. What we're doing is we're going to fake Bin Laden out and make him think we're leaving. Well, but, yeah, I mean, he's going to find out tomorrow that we're still here, though, right? So what difference does that make? Instead, half the Delta Force is gone. Where'd they go? Maybe... I'm not sure if those were the ones that Bush sent to Somalia at that time instead. I know it was before the end of 01, we had special operations forces in Somalia, but whatever, they were not allowed there. And then check the record. We had thousands of army rangers down in Kandahar and at the, Kandahar, at the uh, Bagram Air Base on the Somali plain north of Kabul. And we also had thousands of Green Berets in the north of the country fighting against the Taliban, uh, essentially as... Uh, Auxiliaries of General Dostum, the former communist general and, uh, of course, rapist, torturer, war criminal, warlord, and now marshal of the current Afghan government that we've been fighting for for the last 20 years. And not only that, David, but General Mattis, Trump's first secretary of defense, the former Marine Corps general, had 4,000 marching Marines down there in Kandahar as well. All of these men could have been used to seal the border to Pakistan, prevent bin Laden and his men from escaping. And what they had, in fact, John Kerry's Senate committee did a review of this and collected a lot of testimony about it and stuff. And where the experts said they have a plan for this on the shelf all the time. It's called a block and sweep exercise. You just block them and sweep them. And there you go. It's, it makes perfect sense. You know exactly what it means. And instead, they did use some air power there and they could have killed bin Laden conceivably with the airstrikes that they launched. And yet they forced essentially a small handful of Delta Force operators and CIA paramilitaries to rely on local uh, Afghan militias to do the bulk of the heavy lifting for them. And they insisted on going home every night and wouldn't hold any positions. And our guys just didn't have 
the force protection to continue to advance and advance. So they would all have to go home every night and start over the next day and never get much further. And then bin Laden escaped across the border into Pakistan. And as I know, David, you have heard a million times and your audience has all heard a million times. If they're familiar with this subject at all, then you've all heard the phrase. And I don't know how they do this. It's a miracle of public relations how they do this. They slipped across the border into Pakistan. And once they yeah. slipped across the border into Pakistan, well, that's just like jumping into hyperspace. They got away. That somehow this is a semi-permeable membrane that the U.S. absolute top-tier Army Special Operations Forces cannot cross. But why not? And Greer talks about how once they did escape across the border, then they said, well, look, we got helicopters. We're the Delta Force. So what we'll do is we'll get in our helicopters. We'll go over the mountains, and then we'll come at bin Laden from the east and have him cornered. He won't be able to do anything. Nope. Sorry, permission denied. Can't do that. Okay, well, I know. How about we lay a bunch of mines in the very few valleys that bin Laden and his men are, you know, must be forced to choose from for their getaway here. There's only three or four possible places they could have gone. Let's mine those valleys. Nope. Permission denied. And here, the Delta Force guys, they weren't reckless, but they were trying to do their job. And they were refused permission over and over again. And the CIA station chief in Islamabad, Robert Grenier, uh, wrote the book, 88 Days to Kandahar. Again, he doesn't endorse the theory that they let him go on purpose, and yet he sure plays his part in telling the story, if you ask me, where uh, he describes how he had struck a deal with the Afghan government, pardon me, the Pakistani government. You might remember that Dick Armitage, the deputy secretary of state under Colin Powell, had called General Pervez Musharraf of Pakistan, the dictator, and said, you're going to do everything we want in this war or we're going to bomb your country back into the Stone Age. Remember that? And then uh, Musharraf said, we are at your service, sir, and you need us to betray the Taliban. We'll do that, whatever it is. You know, the Clinton government had worked with the Pakistani government to install the Taliban in power in the first place, of course. Uh, but this was five years later, so now everything had changed and we were going after him. But anyway, Grenier, the CIA officer, station chief in Islamabad, he made a deal with the Pakistani government, their, specifically their army and their frontier corps, to set up deconfliction lines in order to make sure to protect against friendly fire. We expect that our army Delta Force is going to be chasing bin Laden and his men across the border into Pakistan. And we want to make sure that any Pakistani army or frontier corps guys who might help us fight these Al-Qaeda guys are careful not to hit our guys. And so we have to have all this deconfliction set up between the Delta Force and our guys in Pakistan and the Pakistani army. And Grenier had already succeeded in setting all of that up. And they just had no excuse whatsoever. There was um, a colonel once told Gareth Porter that, well, you know, the problem was we were afraid that if we crossed the border into Pakistan, that that would, you know, stir up local Pakistani tribes and make them angry. And that was the last thing we wanted to do when we were trying to create a democracy in Afghanistan. Well, first of all, what's creating a, a democracy in Afghanistan have to do with killing Osama or capturing Osama bin Laden, the guy that killed 3,000 of our countrymen? Has nothing to do with it. And what do you mean they were worried that some stirred up, angry local Pakistani tribesmen in the border region, some of the poorest people in the world who have no power whatsoever, that they're what? They're going to somehow destroy our wonderful Afghan democracy that we're building? 
when all our Delta Force guys had to do was tell him, look, we don't have a problem with you. We're hunting a six foot, three inch tall Arab. Have you seen him? And we don't want to fight you. We're just walking through. And if they had really insisted on fighting our Delta Force, well, then that would have been their problem. We're hunting a six and a half foot Arab who killed 3,000 of our countrymen. And so you can either help us or stand out of the way or you can cause a problem. But if you cause a problem, that's your problem. Isn't that, and look, I'm not a warmonger, David, but I'm speaking for the entire American populace. Isn't that what, isn't that what we would expect? That if some local tribal people want to throw their lives in the way of us to protect bin Laden, that that's too bad for them? Instead, we're fighting the Taliban at Mazari Sharif and Kunduz, which is 400 miles in the other direction. And that has nothing to do with Al-Qaeda at all. But no, we can't kill a couple of local tribesmen in our hunt for the actual guilty. And when you combine all this together, yes, it's circumstantial. But I think, oh, one more, one more major part of this, pardon me. Bob Woodward's book, Bush at War, uh, quotes at length their discussions taken from the minutes, directly from the minutes of the National Security Council meetings, where Bush and Cheney and Rumsfeld and Wolfowitz talk at length about how the American people must be made to understand how broadly we are defining this war. And we are definitely going to Iraq. And they were worried, David, that if they killed bin Laden, the American people would get the wrong idea that we had won the war and we gotten our revenge and the war was over. And how were they supposed to keep your mom afraid and, to, and supportive of a war in Iraq, which is going to take them another year and a half to build up the forces to launch if they can't threaten her that Osama bin Laden has an alliance with Saddam Hussein and Saddam Hussein's Iraq could give bin Laden weapons of mass destruction. Imagine Bush said over and over and over again, 9-11, except instead of with planes, with weapons of mass destruction, chemical or even nuclear weapons on our shore. But who would right. care if Saddam Hussein was allies with Osama bin Laden, which wasn't even true, if bin Laden was already dead and the war was, and the American people believed the war was over. So Rumsfeld said, maybe we should start carpet bombing Iraq right now, just to make sure the American people know that the war on terrorism is not a war on Al Qaeda. And, and if, Al, if Osama bin Laden is killed, that is not victory. And if Osama bin Laden is not killed, that is not failure. This war is to be defined yeah. as broadly as possible. And then Bush lied and said these al-Qaeda terrorists are in as many as 60 nations across the world. The whole Middle East, as far as you know, Americans, is the Islamo-fascist caliphate. And they're coming for us if we don't stop them. And these were all pure lies. And they needed bin Laden. It's virtually undeniable. It's circumstantial. Circumstantial. But come on. They needed this man to be just like Emmanuel Goldstein, the traitor in the book 1984, uh, the enemy of the party, the permanent emergency to keep people afraid, keep those orange alerts flowing on TV so that people would be confused enough to let Bush start an aggressive war against Iraq that had not had anything to do with the attack, had never even threatened the United States of America, of course. 
Scott Horton, very well said, uh, except for the bit about everyone in the United States would be expecting it would be fine to go ahead and kill a few local uh, tribesmen. I actually would not. I would dissent from that bit. But uh, but the rest of it, very well said and incredible that you've done a book about the past 20 years and more of U.S. wars uh, that's got so much new uh, information and insights in it because, as you know, probably having read more than I have, there are piles of these kind of books. Uh, history of U.S. wars of the past 20, 30 years, and, and yours is new and different, and I, and I highly recommend it to people. Um, I, I, I think another interesting question that, that it raised in my mind, uh, and we've got about five minutes left, do you think George W. Bush went into the presidency wanting wars, not just because his daddy needed revenge and he wanted to be a wartime president, but because he actually thought that being a war-making president would give him the power to accomplish things domestically, uh, despite the examples of people like Lyndon Johnson, who, you know, destroyed their domestic agenda with their foreign wars. Is, is that what W. went in thinking, and do presidents go in thinking that now? Yes, I think that's absolutely right. And um, in fact, I'm glad you mentioned Lyndon Johnson there. You might remember when Donald Trump was on the verge of attacking Iran, Colonel Douglas McGregor went on the Tucker Carlson show and said, this president knows better than to do this. Vietnam destroyed Lyndon Johnson. Iraq destroyed George W. Bush. Donald Trump will not let Iran destroy his presidency in that same way. And that stopped the war. We know that, you know, that was widely reported and confirmed at the time that President Trump saw McGregor on the Carlson show say exactly that and said, you know what? He's right. Call it off. Don't do it. And that was when, you know, they were going to attack over a drone that the Pentagon accidentally got shot down over there. Some Gulf of Tonkin. Give me a break. Right. And Trump didn't fall for it for that for the reason you highlight. But now W. Bush is not that insightful of a guy, David, but he thinks that he is, right? And and it's the true history of, of 1991, apparently, that W. Bush was one of the ones who said we should go all the way to Baghdad and finish the war and get Saddam Hussein now. And then remember the political lesson here, John Kerry and Joe Biden voted against the war, the first Iraq war, and they never lived that embarrassment down. And that was why they were sure to support Iraq War II, because they would never make that same mistake again, because Iraq War I was such a wonderful and successful war. But the problem from Bush Sr.'s point of view was the war was over in the spring of 1991, and he didn't face re-election until the fall of 1992. And that was enough time for people to not care anymore that he'd won this wonderful war. And his approval rating went from 90% down to mediocre levels. And then with Ross Perot in the race, it was enough to get the Democrat elected. And W. Bush said, well, I'm not going to make that mistake. What you have to do is you have to be in the middle of a war when re-election time comes. That way you're secured. You have the slogan that you can't change horses in midstream and all these things. And that really worked very well against John Kerry in 2004 and did get him reelected. And he did tell Mickey Herskowitz his um, biographer. He later denied the quote, but then his father hired the same author to go ahead and write the approved biography of Prescott Bush, the grandfather, which would seem to mean that that bridge wasn't too badly burned by this supposed misquote. But it's a it's a complete quote. And he talks about how my dad made this huge mistake. And if I have the chance to go to war with Iraq, 
I will, because the lesson is you want to be at war against a small, easy country. You want to be in the middle of one to make sure you're reelected. And because war presidents are the great presidents, and I want to be able to get my domestic agenda through. And you might remember his domestic agenda essentially was to, quote unquote, privatize Social Security, meaning take the entire Social Security trust fund and take it from government bonds and IOUs, pretend I IOUs anyway, and put all of that into the stock market bubble, but only for government approved industries, right? Which would have won. And remember, this is the same bubble that crashed in 08 and killed the whole world economy, right? Um, On one hand, it was going to completely destroy the pension program. And on the other hand, um, it was uh, going to just make the bubble that much worse. and, And it was going to give the government this much authority over which companies are okay to invest for the government to invest this money in and would have really strengthened the government corporate crony connection between federal power and and corporate america in a way that is really unprecedented and thankfully the elderly of america just said absolutely not you are not doing this the book is enough already time to end the war on terrorism scott horton thank you for coming on talk world radio thank you so much for having me david this is talk world radio i'm david swanson take action at rootsaction.org help end war at worldbeyondwar.org Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at talkworldradio.org. Talk World Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way.